The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora and welcome to The Good Citizen, a monthly podcast about interesting people doing interesting things that's brought to you by Britomart, the nine block precinct in the heart of downtown waterfront Auckland where good ideas and good citizens are always welcome. Excuse the construction noise in the background, <laughs> I'm your host Jeremy Hansen and today's guest on The Good Citizen is a woman who's championing the benefits of a diverse workforce from inside one of the country's biggest banks. Fontaine Moses Takani is the head of Māori Diversity and Inclusion at Westpac where diversity is seen as a vital part of a broader transformation based on sustainable values and community connections. Tanakwe Fontaine. Tanakwe. Thanks for coming along. Now, I wanted to start by asking about you because you grew up in rural Tairawhiti, but I don't think that working in diversity would have been something you pictured for yourself when you grew up. Uh, no, it definitely wasn't. Nami mahana ki koutou, ko Fontaine Tokoingua, ko Ngāti Iwi, to be honest, I was brought up with my grandparents. And so I was brought up in this place called Rere, which has now become famous on YouTube for our falls. You know, we're all the crazy people who are kind of you know, jumping on things and then going down this kind of falls that look amazing. And yeah, it's a near-death experience. So that's what I come from there. Yeah. Um, and I was brought up by my grandparents. So it was... It was fantastic. I think um, one of the things, for, like in growing up, so I had um, as the precious grandchild that got, was fed off the spoon of my nana, is that, you know, th- that was my normal. So I went to, when I went to school, um, I remember this teacher saying to me, oh, you know, that's one of the poor kids. And I looked at me, oh, you're obviously looking at the wrong kid. I'm good, thanks. And... You know, it helped me to see that what my normal and my sense of reality was is just not kind of conditioned by what other people think or see. It's like, oh, that's your opinion. You're only one person. I'm good, thanks. And so, you know, from my perspective, I had my grandfather would take me to the awa and so we would, that's where we would bath and, you know, and, and that's where we would get tuna. And so he, I went out with all the uncles and cousins to go, yeah, you know, go get tuna and everything else. And my nana would teach me about rungo and all the properties of the forest and how to heal everything. And then, um, you know, our special treat would be get to go to town and to go into Gisborne, go to Decca when it was around, and um, to buy, like, lollies. And so my grandfather and I would sit in the car while everyone went inside and have a little treat of chocolates. <laughs> it's like, yes, the best world ever. So, you know. So you're living what you 
what is for you a really rich childhood, and yet you go into another environment where you're perceived as as disadvantaged, and that doesn't compute for you at all, right? No, of course not. Mm. And is resisting that definition something you've tried to carry with you through your adult life as well? There is a theme there, Jeremy, yes. <laughs> can we tease that out a little bit? <laughs> no, of course we can. Um, I think for me, I was I definitely loved and adored. And so because of that, it gave me the ability and freedom to just um, look at the world through a different lens and not the you can't, but the why not? You know, why can't I do that? Of course I can. So um, so I would. And I think because of that, I would always um, challenge the, you know, when people would say, well, you can't do that. It's like, well, why not? Yeah. It, my nana didn't say She never said that to me. So obviously... And you're nothing to me, so I'm good, thanks. And so, you know, I knew I had the support of my, my the people I love the most to be able to go and be, you know, courageous and adventurous because that's just what you could do. So when you're in your late teens and it comes time to think about further education, there's no university in Tairakati, um and that right. kind of thing, yeah. um, what options did, did you consider and why did you choose to follow the path that you did? Well, so my when I was a, when I was younger, my grandfather died. So then um, we went to live with my parents, and so my father is a Takani from Natipurai, and so he was brought up under the um, Nutter reign, and so I call it the the reign of Nutter because he had such a large influence over everyone on the east coast around the land is there for um, that's our prosperity. It gives us wealth of knowledge. It produces wealth for us. It's our economy, and it brings us all together. So, I was brought up with and with my dad as Fakapapa Papa connects us, and the land provides for us. So, education was huge. So, our land uh, we would consolidate. So, we would all come together, share our wealth, share our knowledge. And so, when I was growing up with my father on this farm, my dad took on this. Um, this man who had nine children. Uh, he was a drunk. He was Australian. And, um, you know, he had no kids. And I looked, I said, Dad, what are we doing? Come on. You know, what can he do? We're on a farm and he's a drunk and uh, he's got no skills that we could really use. And so my father looked at me, he said, well, he's got nine children. And of those nine children, that's where our talent is going to come from. He didn't use the word talent, but he said, look at the, the children he has. There's our future um, farmers. There's the people who are going to live and be our shepherds. That's that's who we're going to be able to have and keep and support. He said, and as for the dad, he said, my role as a, as a man is to help other men to be able to provide for their families. And that's what I'm going to do. So he's got, he said, um, Sometimes what we forget is that the pressure on men to provide is real. And so as another man, that's my job is to support them, him to support his family. Mm. And so that's what we did. So, you know, they worked for us on the farm. Um, and this, you know, we all became great friends. And it helped me to see you look past what you can see and look to the person. Because I didn't know him. And then once I knew him, he was this amazing man who was who could fix anything with an engine, um, and amazing cook was a great dad. But I would never have got to any of that if it wasn't for my father, kind of pushing me past what I could see, 
And so for me, diversity, kind of you look at the obvious. It's like, you know, here's a, a white man who's an Australian, he's got nine kids. Whereas what my dad did is pushed me to go, well, so who's the man? Who's the family? Look past your bias and look to what actually the, the treasure is within this family. And so that's that was the teaching of my father. So his other teaching was like, you know, definitely had, I'm not sure, you know, I had some definite biases as I was growing up. And and so there was one other that we, um, I said, yeah, Dad, I don't like that person. And he said, look, um, not liking someone when you're in a small community is um, is not a privilege that we have. He said, you know, everyone is our neighbour. And if you don't like someone because they're a bastard, then fair enough. But if you don't like someone just because you don't like the look of them, when you are in the flood and you're drowning, that's the hand that's going to save you. So then you're not going to be that pussy. So, you know, like those are the his teachings where you, you've got to know the people before you judge them. And then once you make that judgment, well, then it's fair call. So if we jump ahead a bit, you're now in a position at one of the country's biggest banks where you're trying to apply those lessons in a sense on a corporate scale across thousands of people. Yep. How do you go about doing that? So the vision for Westpac is to be the greatest service company in the world helping our people, our customers, our community to grow and prosper. So at the heart of it is the word service and people. So for me, and helping. So, you know, you don't help people you don't like, is my experience. And I think what I'm very lucky with in Westpac is to that point of you can go and check out, kind of go, oh, well, that's a bank, that's these people, that's yeah, evil corporates, which my family do a lot, and so that's all good. Um, or you can go to the people that I work with and go, actually, you know, when there was a flood in Whanganui, um, our team our, just kind of got in the car, went, helped the local marae, put in the stock banks, um, went back to work, came back, helped with the kai, went back, came back. Yeah, because and they didn't see that this was a marae. They didn't see that this was a were Māori. What they saw was here's a flood. These are stock banks. This is our community. We just got all pitch in. You know, so that's um, and I think when we go to purpose and when we think about service and care for people and helping people, that's a very different discussion than you know financial returns and you know those kind of things. So I tend to look at. Um, I work with a whole lot of people that care. And so I think my job is to connect what they care about and who they care about and who they provide care to and put it into a into a way that they can actually act on it. Because hmm. I was thinking that, um, you know, there are very few people who disagree um, that diversity is good. There are certainly some that disagree yes. with it, though. Yeah. Um, and because of that presumption, you often probably don't have to justify the case for it. No. So I wanted, wanted to ask you what arguments you make for diversity when you are confronted by somebody who doesn't see not only a monetary value in it, but just don't think it's kind of worth the effort. Well, that's not just in a bank. No, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean across the board. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and I think for me it's, and I think I... So in my family, so my mum was uh, Jackie Takani, who was the um, president of the Māori Women's Welfare League, and she was also the, you know, became the junior manager. And so my dad, who is Ngāti Pro, um, 
we lean towards maybe the bluish side, you know, so, you know, because farming, independent, economic growth. So whereas my mum was leaning more to the reddish side. And so in our house we had this um, um, great tension, although, you know, we, we kind of, you can look at it back now, between social justice and looking after people and economic, yeah, uh, economic sustainability. And so between them both, they saw that they had a role and a responsibility to support our community in a different way. And I think that's how I see diversity and inclusion is that diversity calls out and it's almost like um, engineers and other people looking for numbers to justify, oh, you know, we've got um, 52% of women in leadership. And when you're growing to actually raise awareness, you need those to you know, to actually call out where we're failing or up create baselines. As you get more mature, we've got to grow in our maturity to go, actually, that's fine, but how do we actually celebrate that, take away the numbers from the woman in leadership and start looking at the woman like um, Gina or Karen and their amazing skills that they bring to a role, which it's it's great that they're women, it's great that they're this, it's great that they're there, but actually um, they are people who have got amazing skills and the depth that we need to be able to succeed. And sometimes diversity doesn't go into the depth of what people bring. All it does is calls out the facts. Yeah, the fact is, like, for example, I went to my, um, I tell this story a lot, but my son plays soccer and so I went to his prize giving at, at his school and, and if I was looking through a diversity lens, the majority of the coaches, all the coaches, these are boys and girls team, were uh, white white men. Yeah, varying ages, but all white men. And so diversity would go, hmm, you know, we've got a whole lot of white men teaching our boys and girls, and this is the future of soccer. Yay. Um, inclusion, on a lens of inclusion, I looked and went, wow, look at all those um, sons, dads, uncles, just giving up their uh, weeknights and their weekends to be able to support all these children to enjoy soccer and being in sports and participating. At no point did, was there anyone that said, oh, look, woman, you can't be coaches or you can't be managers. But these guys are just so passionate about sharing something with all their, you know, everyone that matters in their lives that if you didn't use a lens of, my view, if you didn't use a lens of inclusion, you would just kind of create this lens of diversity that calls out something obvious but not really true. Are you suggesting there's there's possibly, um, that's the wrong way to put it, I was thinking there's a superficiality about diversity, but I guess it's more that it presents an opportunity to go deeper. I, I think that it's, I'm not sure about that, I'm not politically correct in any by means, but um, I think sometimes we want quick facts. Yeah, quick fact. As my nephew would say, quick fact, did you know? And you know, go through all the things that are factual. And he's not wrong. <clears throat> but I think what inclusion does is it gives us an opportunity of outing people, like, you know, oh, there's those people or there's that person. And when you start walking in a community, you know you're making a difference when you go from, oh, you people or those people to, well, I was with Sam and Annie, and this is what they talked about and this is what matters to them. And so you kind of, you stop kind of outing each other as you or they or this or that to going into what actually is the problem and how can we be part of a solution 
and what does that look like? And sometimes differences are just what they are. You know, you're just different. And you don't have to kind of be hugs and kisses at the end of it. But what it does call you to is actually to come to a realisation that you can no longer say all, all those poor people. You can say, actually, I was, I was with James and he's on the street and he's a story. And it's very different to Mary who's sitting so, right beside him. But you won't know that if you don't talk to people. With those anecdotes, you're also kind of massively broadening your own job description. <laughs> and it made me wonder about um, when you're taking things for a measurable target, such as the percentage of women mm. in senior leadership positions, to the lens of inclusion as you describe it, um, are you also making your job infinitely more complicated? And then how do you tackle that in a big organisation like the one you work in? Because I imagine there's a risk in a position like yours that if, you're not, if you don't have full buy-in from the organisation, you're going to be kind of pretty powerless. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure about complexity. And I think um, for all of the work that I've done, the greatest success I've always been part of is collaboration and, you know, and having a clear co-papa or clear purpose. And the purpose for Westpac has been stated in their vision. Does everyone buy into it? Well, you know, you got people who are a little bit cynical, you know, going, oh, yeah, that's lovely. Um, but then if you carry on, if you do things and you always do it, and then that's what makes the difference. So when, when I started and so I developed a strategy for Westpac two years ago called the Kākono, and it was um, to embed normalising working with Māori Network. And so we have, you know, three strands. And so, you know, I I did it because it wasn't complex. It's, you know, dealing with people, first you've got to care, then you've got to help, then you've got to be of value, then you've got to know them. So the um, three po are just he tangata, which is to um, growing culturally confident people, you know, and you know, he, um, he whanau, which is growing uh, our relationships through um growing our relationships with our community and fighter, which is to grow and prosper. So, you know, I can count past three, but mostly three is the number that we work with to actually be able to go, well, these are our three things. And so that way you're not winning everything, but you are making ground on the areas that you care about. So how do you ensure in an organisation like yours and any other organisation for that matter that yep. diversity and inclusion aren't kind of nice to have add-ons, but kind of fundamental parts of the way they want to do business? It speaks to purpose, yeah. You know, your vision, your purpose. So our, you know, the vision of Westpac is is to be a great service company, or the greatest service company. Our um, our inclusion and diversity vision is to be the greatest company of inclusion. So our purpose is to have a culture of inclusion. So what we're creating is resonates with actually our purpose and and all being able to go forward and to do that. For other organisations, if you've got a vision and a purpose that is not aligned to being of service, to helping people, or yeah, you really don't care, like to be the technically the best company in the world, well, that's got nothing to do about community involvement or connecting. It's you just want to be technically the best company in the world. So you know you've got a whole workforce that's saying, okay, so we're just going to hire people who are technically good. That doesn't mean they're connected and you know, I mean, that's my view. Whereas if you've got a company that says we want to empower our communities, um, provide support to our 
our people so that we can be the best employer, then you've got a platform to be able to intimate and start change if you haven't already. The gaps, of course, in diversity and inclusion that you're dealing with are not part of a single business, they're societal. And so I wondered if you ever had kind of headbanging moments where you felt the whole thing was a little bit too hard. Yes. Well, so, um, you know, under diversity, and they say inclusion and diversity, but for real, when you're actually counting the numbers of people who are, you know, can fit LGBTI, um, Māori, women. So, you know, I, I took most of those, you know, and even like with people over 50. So, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm rocking the ticks. <laughs> you know, woo-hoo. <laughs> so, you know, so team members would go, Fontaine, can you come to this meeting? I said, no. And I said, why don't you invite more women or other people? They said, because you only take one seat and you take them all. <laughs> so that was one of those headbeam moments, I must admit. Um, another moment was when um, I had one of my colleagues say, well, you know, you're not like, you're not a real banker. Like like me, and I said, oh, okay, well, let's tease that out. I said, uh, you work for us. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, and I get on really well. So there's a, a point of safety that he felt he could kind of have this honest, direct discussion with me. I said, okay. So I said, we both. Work for you. I said, see, so you work for us, Peggy. Yes. I said, well, so do I. And I said, so um, I said, I don't need your permission to be part of Westpac. I said, we both work. So I said, we work for a bank, which makes us bankers. I said, this is not a kindergarten moment where you get to choose you know, your team. I'm already chosen. You just have to know where to put me. So I'm happy to be in goal. So if a couple of get through, then, you know, that's the risk you have. But, you know, I said, this isn't one of those, those moments that you have in the playground around picking the team. I said, I'm chosen. You just have to know me better to know and understand how, to, how I'm of value to you. And do you also believe that the change that you're making in your organisation and the people and the people that you work with, do those changes feel like they radiate out to a degree as well? You know, as Māori, there's that saying about as a kumara, you can't say how sweet you are. Yeah, who knows? Um, are, are my family going to say, "Well, you're doing a great job"? Doubtful. Are they going to say you can do more? Absolutely. So, you know, I think I look at my family and prosperity is around our whanau being able to have joy and the tools to be able to be financially and economically free. And so that gives us choice. And so am I part of that story? Yes. Am I... um, and a journey by myself? No. So, you know, my goal is to get all of those that are of the same, you know, in the same role and other banks to go, hey, wouldn't this be great? Um, one of my friends was actually part of a bank and he goes, Fontaine, we cannot be seen standing together. This is not a good look. So I held him. He goes, don't even hold me. What are you doing? What are you doing? They're going to know that you work for this bank and I work for that bank. I said, yeah, we are Māori at a Māori hui. Stop it. <laughs> I said, what are you doing, cousin? You are being a nut. And um, I said, they're both going to look at us and go, banks. They're both going to look at us and expect us to do more. And they're both looking at us like we're idiots. So, you know, we've chosen a pathway. We can be of value to our people. Just stop it, you know. Um, and that's how I see it. So sometimes I think I'm winning. Sometimes I think it's still a bank. And um, 
sometimes I'm extremely, and mostly I'm extremely grateful that I'm in a job that's meaningful and can be can make a difference in, in the community that I serve. We've also seen this huge growth in what some people call the Māori economy with iwi investments and um, the economic powerhouses that many of them are becoming. Um, are you tempted to work for those organisations and do you see them as necessarily being on different sides of the fence? Mm. So um, I always use the term Māori and iwi because I think um, – there's Māori and corporations, Māori Lands Trust, Hapu Marae, and uh, which make up that rich story, which everyone talks about the Māori economy, you know. Um, and so whilst everyone looks at iwi, it's a little bit like diversity. They call it out because it's the obvious. You've got treaty settlements and they're in the paper and you go, wow, they've got this many million or whatever. When Māori and corporations are not seen and they've probably created that same amount of wealth, but they've given money to scholarships. They've got, you know, they've got kids that they've got coming through. They've got, we've got better land use. We've got diversity. There's sustainability. There's some amazing stories around the creation creation of wealth, which goes past that of money and influence of political, but as a collective, very, very strong and rich. And I think um, banks look, you know, and I, you know, it's, I've been in the bank for a while, but you look at the obvious, you, you want to kind of, to the term of most salespeople, you know, you look for the low hanging fruit. And in my community, there is none. You know, it's all attached to a tree, and the tree's quite attached to the fruit. So you can be swinging off the low-hanging fruit for a long time. But, um, you know, people do look at iwi and go, oh, look, there's this mighty economy that's $50 billion. And it's an economy. It's an ecosystem that's connected to many people and many lives and, and to papatuanuku. And, you know, we're not independent from those um, things that are mean everything to us. You live in Hamilton, Kirikiriro, with your wife and your five kids. Yes. And you talked earlier about how your um, your grandmother had shaped your views and also yes. your grandfather and your yes. father and mother. Um, how do you impart this stuff to your own children and how different do you think their experiences to the one that you had in the world you're growing up in? Are they going to kind of graduate into a, a place that's easier for them to live in? I think that, um, you know, so my philosophy of life has been uh, life is for living. And, you know, how do you help your kids to be robust, to, to live a life to the fullest? And um, so my philosophy and what my grandmother and, and grandparents had created was when life gets rugged, um, know that you can always come home to just kind of um, find that place, that little sanctuary where you can be whatever you want to be. You know, if you want to be a um, a duck, sure. You know, like our family just don't care. But it's the ability to go somewhere and know that this is your haven where you are loved and you are cared for and... You know, you buffer yourself up, ready to go back into the world and not to hide forever. And, you know, that's what my grandmother gave. And so, you know, like I'd go out and I got this kind of big award at school or whatever. And she said, that's great, you know. 
And that was it. That's kind of all I needed. It was um, just that my nana knew and that she agreed and, and she was always there as my support and as with my parents and everyone else. And that's kind of the future for my kids and my grandkids is that um, love you uh, deeply. We'll always look to support you whatever way we can. And the greatest is being able to be your greatest supporters. Mm-hmm. You know, and kids, I tell you, um, I think my greatest lessons around diversity and inclusion comes from kids because when they choose friends, some of those friends you like, you go, really? That one? Hmm. You know, uh, so my son got invited. For instance, my, my son, of course, I love all my children. And he said, oh, Mama, I've been invited to this um, birthday. I said, great. And he said, oh, she's going to pick me up on the limo. I said, she, awesome. And I, he's, I said, what parents are there? And she goes, oh, he has, um, her dad must have money. Like, um, so he's paying for everything. But apparently he's got this, like, bracelet, which means he can't leave the home. <laughs> I said, yes, I've seen one of those, son. <laughs> I said, mm, let's meet your friend, shall we? And let's meet the dad. <laughs> but, you know, like those, he was just totally oblivious to why her dad can't make it and why he has a bracelet, which means that he must stay at home. And um, and I said, to him, that's lovely, my son. I said, we, I said, I'm sure you can go to the birthday. I said, we'll just be coming with you. Isn't that exciting? Because, oh, Mum, I don't think I'm going to go now. <laughs> I don't want so, you at my party. Yeah, I don't want you at my party with the girl that invited me. I said, all right, son. It's, it's okay. I said, I'm not offended. <laughs> I'll just wait for the next one. Um, but, you know, like, so our kids have, they have no real, they just look for people to play with. And so they go into the playground, kind of look around, they go, yeah, 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 pick me up, pick me up, oh, I'm off. And then we lose our you know, our kids because they're playing with all these other children. And so, you know, they don't look at someone and go, so are you Muslim, are you Christian, are you what? They just go, well, can you swing? Cool, we're off. Or, you know, can you swim or whatever. So I think they've, they more than any have given me this uh, interesting and richer story around what inclusion and diversity should be. And it sounds like they work as an inspiration for you in your daily work as well, yeah? Yeah. So um, I'm sure they're not always inspiring, but you know. <laughs> oh, that pendulum swings. Uh, so, yeah, not always inspiring, but definitely. So I, um, my view is that five children and so beautiful blended family um, and so we have um, three grandkids and then our, you know, and then every child brings home a child. So you kind of, your family becomes bigger, you know, because you like, and you are, you know, you have this person calling you Nana and they definitely don't look like you. They definitely don't sound like you and they don't live with you. And you're like, okay, cool. Sure. Whatever. Good. <laughs> what would you like? <laughs> you know? Or else the good one is when they call you mum and you're like, yeah. Mm, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that so you just learn to just kind of go with it, accept more, and then your family just kind of grows. So, how do you think you're talking about kind of a real openness amongst kids there, which um, many of us see? Mm. What happens to kind of close that beautiful openness off? Well, I kind of hate school. <laughs> I, you know, I think they get kids ready to be, um, you know. Um, Drones, workers. So, you know, you, you've got, was it writing, reading? I think they're kind of chucking in some others or whatever. But um, 
Where's creativity? Where's, you know, there's a whole raft of other things that are missed for children to be, um, have their own opinions, grow to be whoever they can be, whereas school kind of stifles them about a bit. So what you learn is like you have control freaks and stuff. So I think school tempers some of whatever. And I think, you know, for me, the most amazing teachers can either um, support your kids to grow and be a um, thrive and have a richness of life, but they can also go, actually, you're going to be a loser. And they allow one person's opinion to dominate over the rest of their lives. And so I'm not blaming school. I just think there's room for improvement around schools and and the messages that are being delivered through, you know, spending so much time with our kids. When you think about they go from primary to intermediate and secondary and, you know, I've got a, a beautiful 18-year-old son who's just terrified of leaving school. He's like, you know, I've become the kingpin and now I've got to leave school. My God, I've got to go back to being a nothing. I said, but son, you're not. He goes, yeah, but mum, yeah, I'm 18. I'm seen as a smart ass. He said, I'm not feeling very smart. <laughs> you know, he said, but I'm, I've got to retrain and it's like going back to the bottom of the pecking order. I thought, well, that's a different way to look at it. Um, but, you know, it terrifies him. So he's leaving this whole kind of institution that's kind of groomed him to now kind of growing up to being an adult, and he's like, oh, I'm not looking forward to that. These topics that we're talking about, diversity and inclusion, um, are much more talked about or, or seem to be um, in society at large nowadays than mm. perhaps they were a few years ago. Mm. So does that mean that you... Um, have a greater sense of optimism about the world that um, your kids are entering into and about, you know, the issues and the prejudice that they might encounter? I think um, when I was growing up, I was, uh, it was a predominantly Māori community, so not much diversity. You know, we went to another school where the diversity was like when you can spot the white kid. So, you know, that's kind of Gisborne and... Um, and then I go to, you know, fast forward to my kids and, you know, we have um, all the diversity of the Indian communities, the diversity of Chinese and and my daughter is amazing and she, she knows all of them. She knows how to pronounce their name properly, spends lots of time helping me and, and the differences of the cultures. So, you know, my hope isn't in everyone being that understanding and gracious and loving. It's actually based on you've got you just have a couple of people who always do that. Yeah. And for my kids it's well be that. Be that change. Create what you want. Um you know. So diversity and inclusion. Remember we had um we had a workshop or we brought some women in to talk about what Manawahini series where we had um Dame Nada Glavish, we had um, Vanessa Iparaima, um and we had um, Bronwyn Yates. And they were talking about what that means for them and how far we've come and not come. And Nada said, well, you know, she said unconscious bias is just institutional racism kind of delivered in a different way. She said, so, you know, we are in a world where we want um, – Inclusion. We celebrate that people are different, and she used the uh, fakatoki about um, about the birds in the tree. And she said, you know, the puriri is the tree in the forest that provides the food for all the birds to be themselves. So, 
you, you know, you have one bird singing their own song, being in their own branch, and you have another. And she said, life is a little bit like that forest. You find the tree that will nourish you, that will feed you, and allow you to be who you are and sing your own song. That's a great place to end. Fontaine <laughs> Moses Takani, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Appreciate You've been listening to The Good Citizen, everybody. Um, the Good Citizen's brought to you by Bredemart, nine blocks of um, downtown Auckland that celebrates good ideas and good citizens. And it's been a pleasure talking to Fontaine Moses Takani today. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.